in consideration of the question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible, we continue with our discussion of the great present barrier that man has erected and maintained by his unwillingness to repent. Thus, in the second place, it is revealed as a certainty that men must fear God or have a reverential attitude toward God with proper respect to the austere dignity of the Godhead if they are to be saved, and thus there must be repentance. In Second Chronicles 34, verses 26 to 28, God gave a message to King Josiah of Judah, which expresses the necessity of a right attitude toward God. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall ye say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which thou hast heard, Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rent thy clothes, and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place, and upon the inhabitants of the same. So here God is commending the tender heart and the humble spirit, which is an absolute necessity if men are to be reconciled to God. In the 111th Psalm and verse 10 we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. And in the second Psalm and verse 11 we read, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's impossible to be reconciled to God unless we recognize the proper dignity of the great personalities of the Godhead. In the 103rd Psalm and verse 13 we read, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. So to have a proper response from the mercy of God, there must come within our heart a reverential regard for the greatness and holiness of God. In the 138th Psalm and verse 6 we read, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. So it's impossible to be reconciled to God without becoming humbled and lowly before the great God. In the 57th chapter of Isaiah and verse 15, we have this assertion concerning the life of the Godhead. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So God will only dwell with those who are of a contrite and humble spirit before him. 
in the 66th chapter of Isaiah. And the last part of verse 2 we read, But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and that trembleth at my word. This is proper reverence toward the greatness of God, apart from which the mercy of God simply cannot be exercised toward man. Coming to the New Testament, in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, and verse 50 we read, And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Apart from this fear, God's mercy cannot be exercised. And in the fifth chapter of Matthew, verses 3 and 4, in this great Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So the poor in spirit are the humble in spirit, and theirs shall be the mercy of forgiveness and the happy association in the kingdom of God. In the fourth chapter of Luke's Gospel, verses 18 and 19, we read concerning our Lord Jesus Christ as he addressed the group of folk in Nazareth where he had been brought up. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And so the gospel is to be preached to those who are humbled, to those who are brokenhearted at their sin, to those who feel their captivity and long for the deliverance of the mercy of God. Thus God addresses the needs of men. In the ninth chapter of Acts, in verse 6, we read concerning the humiliation of the Apostle Paul. You remember this great shaft of light had come down from heaven and had interrupted his proud course as he went on to persecute the Christians. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And so all of a sudden the great haughty apostle, who before his conversion was named Saul, was duly humbled before God. And this made it possible for God to transform him into the great and noble apostle. In the 16th chapter of Acts, verses 29 and 30, we read concerning the Philippian jailer, as he was thoroughly humbled before the Lord. Then he called for a light and sprang in. You recall the earthquake had opened the doors, and the jailer was in great excitement lest his prisoners had escaped, which would call for the end of his own life, and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In the second chapter of Philippians, and verses 12 and 13, 
we read the necessary attitude of the Christian as to his own salvation and his relation to God. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So there must always be an attitude of proper regard for the great God. And thus repentance is absolutely a necessity. In the fourth chapter of James and verse 6, we read that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So God must always resist those who have no proper regard for his person. Also in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. In 1 Peter 2.17, we have this command. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So God by necessity is limited in extending his mercy only to those who have humbled themselves and approach him in proper reverence. In the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter and verse 5, we have a, an account of the glorious happiness and joy of heaven. And notice what the attitude of the folk are there. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. So none can possibly be saved apart from a reverential and trustful attitude toward God, which involves repentance. But in the third place, men must turn from a state of disobedience to a state of obedience and continue therein if they are going to be saved. Or they must repent in such a way that they will remain in a state of repentance. We begin by Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verses 17 and 18. Here Moses is admonishing the children of Israel. And there shall cleave not of the accursed thing to thine hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show thee mercy, and have compassion upon thee, and multiply thee, as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, when thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep all his commandments, which I command thee this day, to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord thy God. So there must be an attitude of obedience, a determination to follow the will and purpose of God in his great loving manifestation. In Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verses 8 and 9, we read of a circular letter from King Hezekiah of Judah, which insists on obedience as a condition of God's mercy. Now be ye not stiff-necked, as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord, and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn away his face from you if ye return to him. 
So there must be a return to God with a purpose of obedience. In the 84th Psalm, verses 10 and 11, we read, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And in the 86th Psalm, verse 11, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. And thus, if we are going to experience the mercy of God, there has to be a willingness and a purpose to return to a state of happy obedience to his loving will. In Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 we read, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Certainly, anything short of this purpose of life will be a limitation on the exercise of God's mercy. But we shall continue the New Testament scriptures during our next visit. Our Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for thy loving kindness and thy tender mercy. How we thank thee for thy insistence upon a full repentance and a way of holiness. For only therein could man possibly be happy. How we thank thee for the atonement of Christ. And now we pray that many may repent of sin, exercise faith in the blessed atonement of Jesus and find forgiveness and restoration and happy fellowship forever with thee. In Jesus' name, amen.